to be involved with King Price. It's one of those companies that I have the honor to work for that I believe makes a huge and a significant difference in South Africa's economy, hopefully in the rest of Africa as well. Uh, the, the economy of South Africa is a very broken, broken economy. It's not really working. But there are people like us, and we would like to make it work. We would like to make a difference. Now, uh, our conversation for me being here today started off by Dirk asking me to help him to just bring about some difference for people to focus on giving a little bit more attention to detail in whatever they do in a day. And then he said, Sean would like to talk to me and we had a conversation about me coming in and maybe picking up where I left off the previous time due to budget constraints so that I can maybe give some input again into your life, which I believe will be significant, not because it's me, but because it's always good to get uh, input from someone that has got a different perspective or is not so ingrained into your paradigm. You know, paradigm doesn't shift with the people that, that are immediately close to you because they hold the same paradigm as you. They think the same way that you think. And it's not wrong. There's no right and wrong in this. It's just the way it is. This is what it is. Now, if you want to make a significant impact in any company or any group of people, and this is also a kind of a principle I've seen that operates, is that uh, culture or doing something in a company or in a family or in your friendship circle depends on those that lead it, those that have the greatest influence and that uh, gives the greatest input into a system like that, whether it be your friendship circle or your family or in this case in the company. Uh, culture is nothing in a company but the way leadership act and think. That's what a culture is in a company. You cannot distance, you cannot ask how from a grassroots level can you change, how from the bottom up can you change a company unless you address the culture and specifically the culture of a leadership. Now, Sean has asked me to just touch on, on certain things and I would like to use today as a kind of introduction conversation with you about leadership and then the topics that we are going to cover there's a kind of a golden thread that I would like it to have that runs through all the conversations that I would like to have with you so the one will build on the other on the other on the other until maybe further down the line next year don't know when we will have a, a new fund of knowledge. You will think a little bit different first about yourself and then about how you do things. Because uh, there's uh, another principle. Well, let me first just briefly explain to you the idea of a paradigm. I don't know who's familiar with the idea of a paradigm. Uh, <clears throat> I have 
found this to be thanks. This to be a very strong and fundamental idea to understand many other things. If you understand what a paradigm is. Maybe I must just take one step back before I go there as well. Do you know what's the fundamental function of your brain? You don't know. That's a good answer. Any other attempts? What, what's the most fundamental thing your brain does? Think. That's a good, good guess. What else? What? Run your body. Also, a good one. Say again. Analyze. 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 Uh, think is a think is a big word. Think is a big word. This is a bit more specific. Run your body. Uh, gather and absorb information. Information is part of knowledge. So we talk about knowledge here. Analyze. Uh, analyze, I assume, would mean that you take, you gather, gather information, you absorb it and you analyze it, put it into categories. Process, yeah, process could be the word that explains these two. That's what your brain does, it processes information. Say again. It forms habits. That's another big thing. Habits. Maybe we should talk about habits sometime. I'll tell you what habits are and how one can redirect them. Because we all have habits and it's not a negative thing. But I would take a very well educated guess that some of the habits you have you don't want you can do without. Like me too. I'm not the, it's not just you, it's me, me as well. So, this is good descriptions of what the brain does, the mind does. You know the mind is like a 3.8 kilogram organ in the skull. Yeah, it sits here. But this is not the fundamental thing the mind does, the brain does. The fundamental thing the brain does is to draw distinctions. And this is a kind of a fund, uh, kind of a bottom line statement I make, which will take you like it took me many years to understand. Before you can think, you must draw a distinction. Your brain, with the words, the sounds that come out of my mouth, says that those sounds, sounds different than this thing. Or what, yes, a noisier. And I attach different value now to the sounds that come out of my mouth as compared 
to the sounds that come out of this duct here in the ceiling. And I attach a different value to that. I process it differently. So the brain goes on and draw, different, uh, draw distinctions, see differences all the time. And then it goes on and then it attaches value to that. That is a sound. That here is a sound. Sound is a sound. That's also a sound. But that means something different than... Now, I don't want to say that. That, the word that, means something different than that. Not really. You'll get me, don't worry. I'll ease into this thing. The only reason why you can let me go on a different level, the only reason why you can see me, is I look different than this screen, screen behind me. So you draw a distinction instinctively, automatically, that this, we call it a person, looks different than this, we call it a screen, and therefore I can be seen, and this can also be seen. If I looked like this, you would not have been able to see me. But the fact that you draw a distinction and think this looks different than this, or this, or this, or this, or the carpet, or this chair, it gives you the ability now to see. If we were not able to draw a distinction, then it would not have been able for us to observe. And the word observe includes the use of your five physical senses, or maybe six of them. It's to see. You've got five physical senses that you use, and they act like gateways, doorways, entrances to your brain. It's your eyes to see. Your nose to smell. Your ears to hear. Your mouth to taste. And your skin to touch. All the information that your brain processes, everything that you think about, has entered you through one of your senses. This is function of senses. Your senses are your eyes, nose, mouth, ears, and skin. So you can see because your eyes are open and you draw distinction with your brain. You can see what I look at looks different than something else around it. And therefore I can see. So that's what the brain does. It draws distinctions. We need to understand one thing as opposed to the other. On a very surface level, it, it means this. You only understand what's day because you know what's night. You under, only understand what's silence because you know what's noise. You only understand love because you know what's hate. You only understand greatness because you know what is failure. 
because we are exposed to those opposites. And most things in life are not necessarily opposites, but these that I mentioned are opposites. Because we understand the one, we can understand the other. We understand hardship and suffering and difficult times because we know what it is to experience joy. Maybe the joy of your childbirth. Maybe the joy of achieving a a degree or a diploma. Maybe the joy of completing a course. Maybe the joy of reaching your targets. We understand the one because we know the other. We draw distinctions continuously. You have just drawn a distinction about the sounds that came out of my mouth. Come to think of it. These things that I make is just sounds, but you attach a certain value to them, and therefore you say, I understand you. You're using a language that I can understand. But it's just sounds that I make. And those sounds you attach a value to. You say, uh, I understand, or some of you say, yes, I don't understand what you're talking about here. <laughs> and then I see the face and I say, don't worry. I have this opportunity now to spend time with you and I'll bring you into this picture because this is fundamentally important to understand. That this is what your brain does and it continuously do that. That you draw distinctions and you attach value to that. You will look at your wife and you attach, and she looks different than another wife or another woman, and you attach a certain value to her as opposed to the value attached to another woman. You look at your children and you attach a certain value to them as compared to the value that you attach to another man's children. So that's what the brain continuously do. One of the things as leaders, talking about leaders, what's the most fundamental definition of a leader? A leader is someone that is followed willingly by followers. That's a leader. You ask me, what's the definition of a leader? That is the definition of a leader. You get people that say, I look up to that person by my choice. I enjoy that person. I have respect for that person. I appreciate that person. And I will do what that person asked me to do. And I will follow that person wherever that person leads. That is a leader. A leader is not an inscription on a business card. You know, team leader, CEO, COO, CFO, MD. (laughs) Those are just descriptions for a structure. I've met CEOs that are not leaders. They carry the title of someone that should be a leader, but they're not. They just carry a title. Now, for you and I, we, we don't want to go there. You don't want to have the title of being in a leadership position, but you don't act like a leader. Two things. The one is you've got the title, but you're not a leader. And it might not be because you're not good enough. It might just be that you haven't been empowered to fulfill that position. Or you haven't grown into leadership to the extent that you can fulfill that position. Or it might be that you're not a leader. And now that begs the question, are leaders born or are they made? And this is the answer, both. It's never either or, it's always both and more in life. 
Is it this or is it that? No, maybe it's both. Are you born a leader or are you made a leader? Do you grow up and people teach you to become a leader? No, both plays play into one another and both of them can cause you and I to become leaders. And again, bringing it back to my most simplistic definition of what is a leader, it is someone that other people look to and say, I will follow that person. Not because I feel compelled, not because I'm forced, not because I get a salary and now I have to follow that person. I follow that person because of who that person is. I follow that person of the way that person treats me and the way that person leads me and that the way that person thinks about me and thinks about many other things. And when I look to that person, I say, I want to follow that person. Now, in the purest form, that is a leader. It's not someone that says, listen, if you don't do what I tell you to do, then you will get some trouble with me. Sometimes that's also necessary in leadership. I'm not discounting that. That should happen sometimes. Because followers sometimes need just to be reminded about, you know, (laughs) because we all forget. When I was young, I was in the army, so... We, we were on a standard in terms of discipline and then four or five weeks later if the discipline wasn't applied regularly we just became and the word we used then was nafi you became nafi you know you, you don't care anymore and then one weekend you come back from pass and the corporal is on your case like big time and he makes you to run many kilometers and do many push-ups and sit-ups and burpees and all those things, and then you're in line again. And he reminds you as to how things work here. And then for three weeks, you're, you're set. You're in line again. So that needs to happen sometimes too. I'm not discounting that. But what you want to aspire to become, really, trust me in this. You want to become a leader that people say, I want to follow you. They might not say it explicitly. They might not walk around and say, you see, I will graag volg me. But you can see in their attitude, in their approach, in their way of doing things, they are glad to serve you in a way. They are glad to see that you do certain things in a certain way that they can even think to themselves I aspire to be like that person leaders teach only two lessons to their followers so a follower follower would say I've only learned two lessons from this leader it's either how to be a leader or when I'm in that position how not to be the only two lessons we teach those that follow us is how to be a leader or when they get to our position one day is they say I want never to be like that person that I had as a boss when I was younger it's the only two lessons we teach our followers and trust me again you want to be the one that's, that, that says one day and even now that my people say, those that choose to follow me, they say 
they would actually be want to be like me, be the type of leader I am, be the kind of person that I am in this leadership position. So I assume I lead them in a way that they find that is the kind of leader that they themselves would like to be when they get into my position. You want to be that kind of leader. Now what you and I should understand about leadership is that there's this just, just this unique thing that you bring to the leader that you are. And that's fine, that's good. You've been created with a purpose. You must understand your life as a leader is not an experiment. There wasn't some angry God that threw you out on the, on the planet and say, you go ahead and see if you can make it. We are sitting here as the, the professors with the white coats in the lab and seeing whether you make it. No, it's more intimate and more personal than that. There's a God that had you in mind that created and designed a purpose specifically for you and allowed by His grace for you to be born so that you can be the leader and the person and the mother and the father and the husband and the friend that you were called to be. So what am I saying? I'm saying your life has got a purpose. If at all, in any doubt, trust me, if I tell you that your life's got a purpose, in the quagmire and all the syrup that you have to swim through in this life to get to a place where you feel fulfilled, do you always think you've got a purpose? No, you don't. You lose track of that. You lose sight of that. You get so involved in a day with all the little bit, bolts and mats and the detail of your life that you don't step back and say, listen, my life's purposeful. My life's got meaning. And this is why, amongst other things, why we have to sit here, press the pause button and say to one another, listen, your life's got a purpose. Your life's got a purpose. It's not an experiment some angry God is busy with here. And see whether <laughs> this experiment turns out well or not. There's more to you than that, man. There's greatness in you. Awesome greatness. Do you feel like that every day? No, you won't. Because the children to tend to. It becomes hot outside. There are things that don't work as they should. There are frustrations. But if you can, get it today in your heart. Just to embrace a little bit about that reality, that truth. That your life is purposeful. Whether you experience the ecstasy of that, the greatness of that or not. It doesn't mean that the purpose of your life has gone away. It doesn't exist anymore. It brings me to a, a very important aspect, if I can dip into leadership again. <coughs> Leaders are people that have vision. 
are people that believe that they can make a difference, are people that think about their path that lies ahead of them, are people that think about the purpose, why they are on planet Earth, are people that try to answer for themselves, whether it be in a very inept way, very difficult way, very not complete way, try to answer that question for him or herself about what is my purpose. And some people, when I ask that question to them in a one-on-one session, you know, they, they often grapple with answering that question. What is my purpose? Let me tell you, you've got all the potential because something that goes with purpose is potential. You've got all the potential to fulfill this purpose that you were designed to fulfill. You lack absolutely nothing. Let me try to explain it to you in a different context, different way. This is a very, uh, for me, a powerful statement to think about. I had a student one day that said, if she will muster enough courage, that's what what tattoo she'll get. And this is the, the words that we were talking about. And then after that, she said that, that she would like to have that as a a tattoo. In every seed, there is a forest. In every seed, there is a forest encapsulated in that little thing. Whatever seed you can think about, an apple seed is about this big. In that seed, there is a forest, an orchard of apple trees. If you take that seed and you plant that seed and you wait for between five to seven years for the apple tree to mature and you pluck only a thousand apples, it will yield more than a thousand apples. But you only pluck a thousand apples from that tree and you take only one seed from each of those apples and you plant them seven years later you will have 1,001 apple trees that will bear apples for you and if you then from those 1,000 apple trees 1,001 apple trees pluck another 1,000 apples from each of those trees and you plant only one seed from each of those apples that you've plucked Now, I'm numerically disabled, but that sounds to me there's exponential growth in 14 years that's way beyond our thinking. I think we talk about 100,000 or 1 million apples that we're going to harvest seven years later. From 100 to 1,000 to 100,000 or 1 million, we can go and work it out. Maybe I must someday. Out of one <coughs> apple tree, oh, one apple seed. What, what, am I, what am I trying to convey here? <coughs> I'm trying to tell you that within yourself, within myself, within an apple seed, all the potential 
for huge impact, growth and becoming and becoming who you were meant to be is possible and is already present there. You don't have to alter that seed. You don't have to add something new to that seed. You don't have to bend it into shape. You don't have to open it up and put something inside of that seed as if it lacks anything. Within that apple seed is already an orchard of apple trees. Within you is already all the potential to become who you were meant to be. You lack nothing. Could it be that some of your potential is not expressed, is not released? Yes, that's possible. Could it be that you still have to give us something or yourself or your family or your friends that you're not releasing, that you're not expressing, that you're not living? Could it be? Yes, it's possible. That begs for a different question. Why not? Why aren't you living who you were meant to be? You want to go to the grave with this? No. So why aren't you living what you are meant to be? Why aren't you expressing that? And now you can give me a thousand and one answers can come out of this room. Yeah, but because of this, you know, he, he, and that, and this, and she, and my boss, and, and you know, those people, <laughs> all those things that we would then present as an excuse for not expressing our potential. Let me tell you, they are meant to be part of your life. They are meant to be there to frustrate you so that you can grow. They are meant to be there to bring about some kind of suffering that can stimulate your growth. They're not meant to be, to kill what's inside of you, to take away from what's inside of you. It's actually meant for your growth. We don't think about it that way. We just run into the frustration. We just chat about this frustration, about this and that. We just talk about these people that, again, didn't do what they were meant to do. Or the husband, you know. Ooh. Or the children, or whatever. Or the, your health which might be a little bit beyond your control or an accident that you've been in or financial challenges that you ran into. There are many things in this life that can kill the potential in you, that can stifle you, that can cause you to think in a way that reduces you to a, a level where you do not express your potential. And Flipper, I don't know how strongly I can tell you that. Stop thinking that you are the victim of other people's decisions and the way they do things. Hell, man. It's time to stand up and to do what you know should be done. 
and to release that greatness of your potential that lies within you, that's under your control to a very large extent. And you start to release that. Slowly at first, maybe for some of us, hesitantly, not sure whether I should. But as a leader, if you do not release your potential, you will go to the grave with your potential. And it would have never been released. And then what you do with the word potential is you say the word potential is just a word in the dictionary. Because if potential is not released, it's just a word, potential. But if potential is released, it creates greatness. It creates a kind of a world in which other people can release their potential. It creates an ambiance, an aura, an atmosphere, whatever you want to call it, where other people come into your presence and they say, Flipper, I go, I like you. Ek weet nie wat het is nie, maar ek hou daarvan om met jou te staan en praat. Of, jy laat my altyd net beter vol en ek kry bykie meer kracht uit jou uit. En ek kan weggaan en ek kan my dinge gaan doen. En ek kan do what I want to do or I should do. Much of your potential is released. I'm talking as if I know you and I've been observing you and I've seen you're not releasing your potential. Sorry for that. If that's the impression I'm giving you. It's not the impression I want to give you. I want to give you an encouragement, an urge, a kind of, come on, let's go, let's do this. Let's become what we were meant to become. Because this life, and you can do it the same for you, is not an experiment. This is meant to make a difference. This is meant to be lived purposefully. This is meant to express something that only this can express. Only me. Because the uniqueness of you and you and you and everyone sitting around this table. I can't even begin to explain that unique deposit that you can bring to something which no one else on the planet can out of five point how many billion people. You're the only one that can bring you. You're the only one that can express you. You're the only one that can bring to the table what no one else can bring. And if you don't bring it, you leave the rest of us poorer. You leave us hanging because we needed that, but you didn't bring that. You didn't contribute that. Contribution is a choice. For me to contribute to your life, is much less dependent on you being nice to me than me making the decision to say, I'm going to contribute to your life. I'm going to make a difference for you. Whether he smiles at me or whether he doesn't smile at me, whether he wants it or doesn't want it, I don't care. I'm going to make the contribution. Because now I'm moving into the domain of being proactive. I'm proactive. I'm just going to do it. (laughs) If you get frustrated by it, just hang in there, man. You'll survive this. But I'm going to contribute what I have to give. I'm going to be proactive. I'm not going to be reactive, waiting for everything else to happen and then see, you know, how does it affect me and how can I respond to that or react to that. It's no, it's taking a kind of a stand and say, listen, 
I do have a purpose and I do have the potential to support all that greatness of the purpose that I have to live and I'm going to give it irrespective it's just a choice that I make contribution is a choice it's not something we need to beg for or to beseech you or to <laughs> please, please it's a choice you come into the room and you say I'm going to make the difference that I can that I know I can and in the beginning you might be unsure about certain potential that you don't know whether you have it or not but you release it and someone say that was a good contribution thank you and you realize yeah that's what I need to do I need to contribute I need to bring what I have to bring because if you don't bring what you have to bring as I've said it leaves the, the rest of us poorer and what you don't release, potential you don't release, you'll just take to the grave with you. Now why the heck would we like to make the cemetery the richest place on earth? And we go and lie there with all that potential that has never been released. Why would one like to do that? Because potential, let's get back to the apple seed. That apple seed can forever lie in the windowsill or in a packet or somewhere in a cupboard. Or you and I can come around and say, listen, I've found an apple seed. And now I'm talking about you being a leader, empowering people that follow you. A leader depositing what you have to give into the lives of those that say, I follow you. Please lead me. That's what followers say. Please lead me. The mentality, the paradigm, the thinking of a gardener applies here. You know how a gardener is? A gardener knows that he can do nothing to that apple seed to make it grow. But he also knows that he can create the right environment for that apple seed to grow. He knows he can take it from the window solo out of the pack, packet or the cupboard. And he knows that somewhere in soil that's appropriate and rightly prepared for this apple seed, if he plants that, if she plants that, she's creating the right environment for that apple seed to grow. And she knows, the gardener, she knows that she needs to give it some manure and water. She's creating the environment for that apple seed to release its potential. That is a fundamental part of leadership. Is knowing that part of your contribution is to be a gardener that creates the right environment for other potential to be released. It's potential inherently in every leader. To empower my people to bring the best out in my people to create the right environment for my people so that they can grow and become what they were meant to be if you and I as leaders just capture that thought and say listen from today on I'm going to try my utmost best even if I don't know how yet to create the kind of environment for my people that follow me and look up to me 
so that they can grow, so that they can release their potential, so that they can become what they were meant to be. As a leader, if you don't do that, you should reconsider whether you are a leader. As a leader, if you don't do that, you should think, why am I not doing that? Why am I not helping other people to become what they were meant to be? I've often found or thought that a leader's, one of his or her main objectives, strategies in life should be to roll away all the stones in the path of those that follow them so that those can come by in a more easier path so that they can do what they need to do. If you're still the leader that takes the work out of your followers' hands, you should change direction. Empower them to, to do their jobs. Help them to do their jobs as best as they can. And you just roll out all the stones that lie in their path to be successful and effective in what they should be doing. There's <clears throat> a very strong concept in psychology called learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. And they say mothers give it to their children. <clears throat> they teach their children to be helpless. When the child struggles with something, they say, Gigi, come I help you go. When the child says, okay, okay, I'll let you do it. Blame it still. Just don't moan. You can't transfer that into leadership. That's not good leadership. Let me tell you a little story that I've heard David Attenborough talked about once. There was this uh, guy that came to him and said, he has found uh, a butterfly that was busy coming out of the cocoon. And he saw the battle butterfly wrestling with the cocoon. It was like his legs were stuck to the cocoon. And so what he did was to just untangle the butterfly and loosen him from the cocoon. And then he put him, puts the butterfly down <clears throat> and he puts the cocoon down and he was watching the butterfly. And he said after about half an hour, the butterfly died. So what he wants to know from David Attenborough was that, was it because he touched the butterfly that he died? And David said, no, it's got nothing to do with that. A butterfly, when it escapes, when it comes out of the cocoon, it will about half an hour to 45 minutes struggle to get loose from the cocoon. And that 45 minutes that it struggles to get loose from the cocoon is just about enough last development for the butterfly to grow to survive outside of the cocoon. And what this guy has done was short-circuiting that last part of that butterfly's development. That's why he died. Sometimes you must let the butterfly wrestle and you must look on with some wise guidance maybe, but not taking it out of their hands to do what they should be doing. 
I know by the mere fact that we sometimes don't have time. We just take it out of their hands and we, we complete it because we've got a target date or a deadline and we need it completed. I know we do that. Refrain as far as possible to do it that way. You're not helping that person. You're short-circuiting the butterfly's last development to survive out there. Let the butterfly wrestle, but give guidance. And on a different level, you take them aside sometimes and you say, this is how it should be done. Let me show you, let me teach you. And then you allow them to wrestle, to get it done in their own way. And it will be inept. It will be insufficient. It will not be right the first time. Nobody gets it right first time, every time. But you need as a leader to empower your people. But not empower them in such a way that you make them weak. Or that you teach them learned helplessness. You want to help your people, those that follow you. And the best way to help them is not in that situation. I know sometimes, like I said, the deadline is looming. <laughs> it's a big thing. It's a mountain. You have to climb the mountain. But let me tell you, if you do that over and over and over and over again, your people will stay helpless. Take them out of that situation when time allows and when it's quiet, or when you can make the time, because making time is important sometimes. Having this time together is very valuable for us. We don't plan for this. It's like those broken relationships that we have. We know we should forgive, and we know we should make them right. No, no, the deadline. Can you know Can you know you put it off, and you put it off, and you put it off, and you put it off. Don't put off the empowering of your people in a very constructive and a coaching, mentoring way. Don't put it off. But stop taking over from them and taking it out of their hands and in the process teaching them to be helpless. It's not good for them. It's not good for you. I know the process of delegation to give work to someone and then trust them that they will do it or to empower and equip them and then teach them how to do it and eventually they get it right to, to do it. I know that process could be tedious, long, frustrating. It is. But it's the better process. Really it is. I've jumped around. Let me just get to a last thought. You get the word accountability and you get the word responsibility. If you're not sure about your responsibilities, clear, clarify them. I'm also the CEO of a company. And one of the principles I live by is saying, I can never over-communicate clarity. Never. You want to hear it again? I'll tell you again what's the mission and the vision of this company. You want to understand to do something? Let me tell you again. I've told you ten times. Let me tell you again. <clears throat> we need that reminding sometimes. So you cannot over-communicate clarity. 
You cannot. If someone is not clear on something, communicate it again. And tomorrow, if they're still not clear on that and you're frustrated and you want to fong longer, communicate it again. <clears throat> One of the things that we sometimes need to just touch base on with those people that follow us is their responsibilities. Why are you here? What, what, what are you meant to do here? Let me just explain it to you again. Let's have a conversation about that. I want to tell you these are your responsibilities. We make a lot of assumptions. <clears throat> we, as people, there's a lot of assumptions that we make. I think you think the same way I think. You don't. <laughs> or you might think, I think like you do. I, I don't think like you do. I sometimes want to hear it clear. And, and I want all the bulleted points of as to my KPIs maybe or, or whatever way my responsibilities are clarified to me. Check those responsibilities and help people to stick to those responsibilities. And you yourself, whatever you have to be responsible for, take it on and do it. I've got young, I've got five, ki five children. <coughs> My children are millennials. I don't understand millennials. So <coughs> we've got this thing in the house. They call me Boomer. And I call them Snowflake. So whenever they want to joke around with me, I say, like a Boomer. So I gathered it came from the whole generation thing. We're baby boomers. I come from that era. And apparently what they call millennials are snowflakes. And I asked my son, why snowflake? <coughs> he says, no, we're all unique. And we're all very sensitive. You touch, touch us and we disappear. <laughs> and I told him, that's why I don't understand you. you do, you're not robust. You're not strong. You don't take responsibility for things. You wait for everyone else before you jump in to do what you, in the beginning, obviously should have already done. Take responsibility, my son, I would tell you. Let me tell you where the word responsibility comes from. It comes from being proactive. If you ever get the, the time to read the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Make time in your busy schedule and in your life to one day read that book. The first habit, talking about habits this morning, the first habit of a highly effective person is to be proactive. And proactivity is nothing more, nothing less, and nothing different than just taking responsibility. Taking the things on that you know you should be doing and doing them. And sometimes we're unsure of ourselves as to how we should be doing it. We might have not done it previously this way, or it might be the first time that you're doing it. But take responsibility and teach your people that follow you to take responsibility. As a leader, you want to be proactive. Really, you want. 
You want to do things. You want to express potential. You want to live purpose. Purpose is your beingness. It is your mission in life. It's what you are meant to become in this life. And potential is that thing in you that gives you and I all the ability to become that which we are meant to be. Maybe next time I'll tell you more about purpose and potential and how one assesses that in yourself. How you can define it, how you can discover it. Because like I said earlier, sometimes I ask people, what's your vision? What's your purpose? And it's very difficult for most, myself included, before I started to think about this to give you a clear and, and good answer. But it's important that we clarify And people that understand their purpose are people that are often proactive and therefore take responsibility to to release the potential in themselves to become what they are meant to be. There's greatness in you. Really there is. You've got one hell of a contribution to make. And only you can make it. And if you don't make it, we're not going to get what we were meant to get because of your lack of doing and making that contribution. So responsibility is not the same as accountability. I'll conclude with this thought. <clears throat> In a way, accountability is chosen. If I want to be accountable to someone about certain of my behavior that no one would know if I don't tell about it, then I choose that accountability and I go to that person and say, I want to be accountable to you about X, Y, and Z. Now it so happens that leaders carry accountability automatically. The buck stops with you. If things are not done, you will be accountable, even though someone that follows you and works for you is responsible. So someone else could be responsible of not doing what they should be doing but you will be accountable because that comes with the territory of leadership, accountability. Someone needs to take the blame in the end. Someone needs to stand up and say, listen, I'm the leader here. I'm walking in front. And these are my people. And yes, one of them, like for those of us can understand it in the context of being a father or mother, or if you... (coughs) are a father and mother in one house. You don't fight in front of the kids as to how you differ to what they do. You, you're one united team. You don't differ in front of them, even though you might differ in the heart. Behind closed doors, you tell your wife, listen, I was not call me. But in front of the kids, you don't do that. It's important to understand the unity in a management or a leadership team as to how one approaches those that follow, or as a family, how one approaches it in front of the kids. Be a united front. If you want to differ, come in here and differ here. Don't differ out there. And maybe you're doing it already like that. So, be of good cheer. We're going to win this thing. We're called to be here. 
You're at the right place at the right time. Your life should be lived here. This is one of the greatest companies in, in South Africa. I know many companies. This is, the, if not the greatest. Does it have mistakes and faults and challenges and everything is not working every day? Of course, that's human. Can we overcome that? Yes, because I say it's part of your growth. Those things that frustrate you and that are challenging and that aren't working as you think it should. <clears throat> no one has a kind of a life where everything works as smooth as we wish it would. There's no such a life. You've got your fair share of challenges. Take them head on and allow them to transform you and to make you into the person that you are meant to be. That's the purpose of challenges and suffering and difficult stuff in this life. It's not meant to kill you. It's meant to give you life. It's meant to help you grow. It's meant for that last part of your development to survive out there, out of the cocoon. I'll see you in two weeks' time. <coughs> Pleasure.